Episode 14. Who do you invite into your home? I'm guessing mostly family and friends. People we know. People we love and trust. People who aren't essentially just like us, sharing common interests and stories. Naturally, we are all very protective of who we allow into our most personal spaces. It takes a certain vulnerability to open our doors to the unfamiliar, the unknown, the unlike us. Without realizing it over time, you build walls that narrow your view, which leads me to question, when was the last time you expanded your circle? Oftentimes, we do the same thing with our literacy life. We tend to gravitate to the same types of books with characters that we can find ourselves in. As I have noted in past interviews, it is important that our students see themselves in the stories we read. However, we would be doing a disservice if we didn't also encourage them to seek out characters and authors that are different from us. If we want young readers to see true authenticity in the characters and perspectives reflected in their book choices, we have to shift the spotlight. We have to go into the unfamiliar and perhaps slightly uncomfortable. We have to open the door to something different and diversify our bookshelves. Author Neil Gaiman says, fiction gives us empathy. It puts us inside the minds of other people, gives us the gifts of seeing the world through their eyes. Fiction is a lie that tells us true things over and over. Are you willing to go there? Are you willing to go outside your comfort zones? Are you willing to shift the spotlight? I think the world could use a little of this right now. Actually, a lot of this. So today, I challenge you to open your door and invite something new, to expand your bookshelf with diverse authors and perspectives. And hopefully, your next dinner party will have richer stories, and the world will be better for it. You're listening to the Osprey Reading Experience Podcast with your host, Brian Sanama. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Osprey Reading Experience Podcast, a podcast dedicated to cracking the code to get kids to experience the joy and journey of reading. I seek out educators who are meeting the challenge of building a reading culture in their classrooms and in their schools. Today, my guests are Joe and Kristen Merrill. They first came to my attention when I started experimenting with Flipgrid in my classroom, and their names seemed to come up time and time again. Imagine my excitement when I learned that they were right here in Southwest Florida. I also was excited to see that Joe was also an Edison State College alum. And after meeting them at an ISTE 19 event, I can confirm that they are the real deal, genuine good people. Uh, I believe their enthusiasm, knowledge, and innovativeness with tools like Flipgrid can be a game changer for getting kids excited to share their reading experiences in new and exciting ways. Joe and Kristen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Brian. That was an amazing introduction. That was a thank great introduction. So <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you could tell us a little bit about your background and experience as educators. I know you guys have a couple experiences here to share. Yeah, so I am a fourth grade teacher. Um, right now, I'm primarily teaching reading and writing, but I've done the whole gamut. I've you know been self-contained. I've had a co-teacher. Um, and you yes i'm teaching uh well i am a first grade teacher <laughs> this year is a little different uh, with everything that's been going on so i have some kindergartners in the mix with my class too so um, those are virtual students as well so i'm teaching a virtual kinder and virtual first and an in-person first all at the same time 
It's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I did the kindergarten thing last year with my, my daughter when I stayed home with her for the fourth quarter. And God bless you for doing the kindergarten, uh, the mix there, because uh, she did not take well to it. You, sir, are a hero. <laughs> well, I, have to, I I can't take that much credit. I mean, the, the students that we have, they're awesome. And uh, they've been, you know, hanging with the punches there in first grade. So credit goes to them. <laughs> Play a little game here, and I know uh, you guys, have, everybody's familiar with Two Truths and a Lie, and I have my own little spin on that, and I call it Real or Reddit. Uh, you give me two experiences, one from your real life and one from the pages of a book you read, and try to blur the lines between the two and stump me. So... <laughs> I'm going to be so bad at this game. <laughs> I figured the whole Two Truths and a Lie thing has been done. I, I wanted to tie it into reading. Uh, it's I love this. I have to tell you, I'm going to steal this and do this with oh, my own kids because absolutely. I think it's so awesome. But I had a really hard time, so I went a very safe route. You want to go first or you want me to go first? No, you can go first. I went really simple. So I went pet route. So I went with, I wanted, okay, so one stream, one's not. I have had a pet pig or I have had a pet squirrel. One of them you read about and one of them you have actually done and pet pig, pet squirrel. Uh, I just watched a movie with my daughter the other day about a pet squirrel that was based on a book. It became a superhero. Uh, I always overthink these things. I'm going to say the pet squirrel is the reading experience. No! Oh, I didn't do so bad! No, I told you I'm really bad at this. We're reading Charlotte's Web right now with our youngest son. And so I, the pet pig came from Charlotte's Web. I actually did. I had flying squirrels. Nice. In college. It's a whole nother story, but yes. Um, so, a very long story. Yes, I did okay. <laughs> you did great. And you know, living in Southwest Florida, we've got a lot of our, like, I know a lot of students in Lee County have pet pigs. So they're, they're all yeah, growing see, them it wasn't, there. So you, you threw that yep, little curveball in there. It was out of the realm. <laughs> that was perfect, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine won't be quite as uh, gross as a pet pig <laughs> or a pet squirrel. Uh, okay, so mine. Um, I have a large selection of musical instruments, or I've gotten a kite stuck in a tree. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to play it safe here because I have listened to an interview with you guys in the past where you kind of let your <laughs> your rocker flag fly. Um, so I'm going to say you 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 seem like the guy who's going to have a whole bunch of musical instruments. So that is true. That is yes. one of your favorite books, though. Yo, that, that's why I had to pick it. My favorite book is the book Stuck by Oliver Jeffers. I don't know if you've ever read it before. I have not. It, but oh, it's the best. It's so relatable. <laughs> um, and I, so it's about the story where this uh, this kid gets his kite stuck up in a tree and it ruins his whole day. And so the whole day he's just trying to figure out how to get it down. So. He, he basically I, just keeps getting other things yeah. stuck in his attempt to get the kite down. And, and I think I've done everything else that he did to try to get the kite <laughs> down, but I just have never gotten a kite stuck in a tree. It's been like a ball or something. So it's very relatable. <laughs> I, I love when people share the books, that, these books that have obviously attachment of good memories too. So it, it, filling my own little list here of books I need to either mm -hmm. have in the classroom or have for my daughter. Or uh, So I love the titles. Um, I love superheroes, and every superhero has an origin story. So I would love to hear uh, the Merrills, the, your superhero reader origin story. What was your reading experience like in school, and how did that, you know, how did that translate to you as an, as an adult reader? And... I think we're a little bit different. We're very different. I know. Oh, I was trying to be nice. 
So I loved reading as a kid. I was the one who would find the series and like read through the, every single book you could find. Um, I obviously love fiction more so. And as I got older, I tended to do the same thing. Like I'd find authors that I liked and then I'd find every single book that I could find. Um, my dad loves to read and I, it's very safe to say that he's probably almost read every book in the library now. He's like 82. Like he reads all the time and I love history. So I kind of led to historical fiction as I, as I've gotten older. Um, I must say if I'm not reading some type of professional development book, it's most likely, I think I just read one on the Holocaust. I like, I, I tend to go towards historical fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just, I love to read. I love to listen to books. I, I mean, anything in that genre, like I, I love it. Yeah. For me, um, I was, I started reading at a pretty early age and, uh, I loved reading as a, as a young, young kid as, as much as I can remember. Um, but then by, by the time I hit second grade, my mom was a teacher. So full disclosure, like she was like, you're going to read. Um, but the, by the time I got to like second grade, I was forced to read different things. And so that really left a salty taste, you know? And so there's only how many times you can read the autobiography of Abraham Lincoln, you know what I mean? And so, um, I really was looking for things that were interesting to me. And, um, I struggled with that for a very long time. In fact, that's what actually ideally really kind of pushed me to become a primary teacher was because, you know, it's so important to instill that passion for, for reading and to build on those foundations. And uh, I think it's really important as a primary teacher to make sure that the kids are exposed to what they enjoy reading and not mm -hmm. just what we think they should be reading. So, um, you know, it's a little bit different of experience for me, uh, but uh, I'm glad that it all worked out the way that it did because now, you know, I get to teach kids how to read. <laughs> And, and that ties in well with one of our, our next questions here, which is reading culture. Everybody like it's a kind of a buzz for a lot of all these principals want to develop a reading culture in their buildings. But uh, when you hear that term and you just touched on a little bit about what you want to develop in your students, what does that look like to you with a, a reading culture in a building? What do you see when you look around that building? I tell you what, it's not because <laughs> um, reading culture is something that I feel like so many people want it to change, but have a really hard time breaking away from the things that they need to to make it change. Um, reading culture is not leveled text. It's not coloring books on a worksheet to show how many genres you've read. It's not having stipulations on what the kids have to check out at the library each week. You know, you have to have one fiction and one nonfiction. Um, I feel like a lot of the things that we put in place for our students is because we want to hold them accountable and we want them to do the reading. But in turn, what we're doing is when we put those different stipulations in, we're it's a complete antithesis of what we want and we're like hindering them even more. So in my classroom, I don't give homework. I don't give homework at all for any subject except the only homework that they have is to read. And we create book contracts together and we, we always discuss at the beginning of a book like how long they think it should take them. and. But other than that, pretty much after that discussion, what they choose is their own. So they can read a graphic novel, they can read a historical fiction, they can read a nonfiction book, they can read a chapter book, you know, and obviously through our discussions, you know, those types of things, you know, there's encouragement to change or, or, or make different things. But a reading culture really should be developed by the student. And, and, and like Joe was saying, like what they want to read and what their interests are because you're telling them that the purpose is to read, the, you know, all this knowledge and all this you're going to gain, you're telling them exactly how to do it. Um, and so I feel like I love to see that schools desire to change that, but I feel like so many of those things are so ingrained into school that people have a really hard time saying like, what'll happen if we don't have it? Like they're too scared to like try. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I think that you hit the nail on the head when you said that, you know, the culture really should be coming from the student side, right? And I think that that's a really hard thing for schools to keep up with, um, especially mm -hmm. elementary, because, you know, if you're investing in books, you've got a series and then the kids that are in first grade, sorry, I'm my thing, my series just went off when I said that. <laughs> um, so I don't know if you could hear them, but um, so you invest in a series of books and it keeps on going off. I'm just not going to say that oh, word you're, again. You're fine. You're fine. Okay, I, I, I I'm, sure I'm sitting in the dark that. right now because my I, can't, so, I, I didn't want to like do this to distract you trying to get my sensor to go off so I can actually see in here. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. So um, anyways, you buy a collection of yes. books. <laughs> and by the time that the kids are in first grade, maybe you've read through that collection. Now, they, now they're gone in fifth grade. That's probably irrelevant now, right? And so keeping up with that is a really tough task, I think, for schools, but it's so important because without those interesting books surrounding them, without books that are relatable, without authors that are new and fresh and upcoming, it's really hard to keep the passion of reading and, you know, to keep that going. And so that's a big challenge, I think, for our schools. I, I love that. And you're the, just the first time I've heard that response about the students their role in it. And as teachers, we want to fix everything and we want to, we want to provide and we want to take care of our students. But, uh, and it's hard sometimes to let the students, like I'm sure you've done it countless times, letting, letting them kind of make decisions and choose how things are going to go. And, and we all say we want students to have a voice, but we're, we're often hesitant to take our own hands off the wheel. You saying that just really, I, I had not nobody's voiced that yet so far as I, since I've been doing this of saying students should have a say in a reading culture. They, you know, what do they want? What do they want places to read? Do they want the materials to read? Do they want, so uh, that that's absolutely fantastic. Thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, and ideally they're going to want to read even more than, I mean, because they're fully invested. So um, it, it's like I said, it's a, it's but a you hit, challenge. you hit it. It's challenging because it's time consuming right. and anything and that's, yeah. But like, I'm just thinking even like in terms of, and this is going to like rub some people the wrong way, but the idea of like guided reading, when you sit with your young children at the table and you've prepared the book for them to read and you lay out the book on the table and you tell them what they're going to be reading and you, yeah, you can do that. And they, they, they may gain some skills. And I understand with primary students when they're learning to read, but like, I would much rather spend five or eight minutes with the students sitting at my table sharing the book with me and telling me why they want to read this book and telling me what they hope to get out of this book and listening to me as, as I tell them what I think might be challenging or or easy or, you know, giving my suggestions on that book, you know, that takes time. It is time consuming because it's not planned out and it's not. And so lots of times when we do these things that are out of the norm, you have to understand going into it like, yeah, you're going to be exhausted after an hour of sitting with children and talking to them. And then by the time this is what I'm seeing now with my kids. By the time you've gone through them all, one's already finished the book and they're ready to talk again. Like, and they start reading so fast that you can't even keep up with them. And it almost becomes like a problem, but it's like one of the best problems to have. Yeah, I think that uh, when it comes to things like guided reading, I think for the most part, teachers, especially in primary, know their students well enough where they can say, oh, you know what, that group's not going to like that book. It's just important not to put that ahead of, I need to have this done by this date, right? So like if you know that you're in guided reading, you need to give a level J, let's just say, for example, and you're doing a formative assessment on that. It's really important that, you know, you're thinking about the kids and whether they're going to be interested in that and not just say, I got to have this done because I have to have this done. Or pulling out three J books and letting the kids pick which one they want to read. That, right. And, you know, <laughs> so just making sure that this, the students are first and that's what's most important. 
Yeah, I have a, a 23 year old who just got just graduated from got her master's. I have a six year old. So I am I'm watching the development of like the different way they're, they're approaching reading at their different ages and totally different. One grew up in their Harry Potter generation. The other one's growing up and, and seeing her come home with these books. And I, I don't ever want that to get sucked away from her. Like she's coming home to daddy, look at all these books I got her. We went to the public library and she's like, she asked the librarian, how many books can I get? And they said, well, technically you can get 50. She goes, I can get 50 books. She, <laughs> she, she wanted to test that out. Like immediately she wanted to get all 50 of them right there. And I, I don't ever want her to lose that. And, and it's good to hear that, you know, that the younger kids are in good hands with many of our educators as far as really, you know, and, keeping that in them because i think it's there in all kids we just sometimes can't get out of our own way and we just drain it from them so mm -hmm. I, yeah. I as a middle school teacher i i greatly appreciate what what you guys are doing in the in the in the primary level so um, 50 books is a lot to check out from the library kristen's trying to do that before you gotta be You're able to carry them <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure she, you can carry. she wanted to test it out immediately i was like nope 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 yeah <laughs> That's awesome. All right, what role? Here we go, guys. What role can Flipgrid play in all of this? Is what you know. It, it, it's you can't go anywhere without seeing Flipgrid right now, and it's one of those versatile tools. And I, it's got a, it's a big time player in this in this niche of reading. How can it? How can it be used effectively, and in a way make sure that it's done responsibly? So early on, um, like just speaking of my personal experience with elementary or primary um, and working with the kindergartners, especially in this year, we had to figure out a way that we could um, practice things like sight words electronically. Um, and so that way, you know, the kids that were in the classroom still would be able to keep up with kids that are at home, vice versa. And so we've used Flipgrid for that. And so it's just, if you're not familiar with sight words, basically it's a list of 220 words the kids have to master that they see frequently throughout the um, I'm so sorry, my Siri keeps on going off. I don't know what I'm saying to make that go off. Um, so it's a series of, oh, that's what I said. Oh, see, there you it's, yeah. it's a list. It's a list of words. <laughs> it's a list of words, 220 words, that um, the kids have to basically memorize before the end of the year. And they're the words that you'll see most frequently in stories that they, or text that they come up on. And so um, we put 10 words at a time on Flipgrid and the kids have 30 seconds to try to recognize all those words. If they can't recognize them, then they, know that they need to practice. Now, the good thing about this is we use this as one of our centers and they can use Immersive Reader to read them back to them. So let's say, for example, they come across a word that they're unfamiliar with. They can use Immersive Reader to hear that being read to them. They can go back and then practice it. And it's like having a tutor, you know, all right there for them. So it's kind of an easy, easy little trick there. Um, I was going to answer, like, how could you not use it? Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, as an as a English, English language arts teacher, reading and writing and speaking, like, they're all ingrained together. And you can't teach one without the other. And Flipgrid allows you to do all of those things. You can use Flipgrid, like Joe's saying, for some type of activity that the kids are asynchronously going to go on and work on. You can use Flipgrid for something more in the moment like a conversation where the kids are in and out and, and responding back and forth to each other. You can use it as a center where they're scanning codes and there's immersive reader and there's directions. You can use it to demonstrate knowledge where the kids are getting on and they're using the tools within Flipgrid. Like we did um, like a book snap last week where I uploaded 
JPEGs of an article. And instead of having them go into the website and read the article, we dropped it on Flipgrid. They downloaded the pictures and upload them and annotated on the text that you know, in relation to the question that I was asking. So there's so many different ways you can use it. I think you just have to start by thinking like kind of like what's your task and where does the conversation or the creation come in within that task? And then you can kind of decide on how you want to use the tool. And if you're worried about, you know, the complexity of all that too, even if you started simple with, you know, a conversation, having, yeah, a conversation, even if you did like at the beginning of the year, we're going to read um, this text. And then at the end of the year, we're going to read the same text and like the kids can see the difference, right? And do that in what's called mic mode where there's no video camera. It's just, you have to listen. So the kids then are uh, focusing really on their listening skills as they hear it back. You know, they can focus on things like their voice and like, you know, their, their different, the different punctuations going up, going down, all that stuff. So, yeah. And I, that leads to another question, another question that I, I've got middle schoolers who are just too cool for themselves. They have no problem putting themselves on TikTok and other, but God forbid I ask them to do a Flipgrid video for those shy, hesitant Flipgrid uh, students. What's your suggestion for getting kids to get over that? I know you mentioned uh, the dark mode where you could turn the, the mm -hmm. camera off. Any, 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 any tips here? Because I've tried using the I've pixelated gone, mode. And <laughs> you can do the pixelated mode. You can put up images of like if you're doing it like a historical context of the person, but I've kind of taken a little bit different turn on this with my kids this year. And as much as I understand that students are shy and that they may have a hard time, there are times where they need, I, I make them do it because speaking publicly in front of people is important. And it's a skill that they need to understand that their voice mean something and that they need to know how to use it. And so sometimes I'm the mean teacher. I'm like, well, you can do it on Flipgrid or you can stand in front of the class and do it. If you really think doing a Flipgrid is not bad, you know, but that understanding my kids have gotten really into the future lately. And I am again, mean teachers turn it off of the comments where they can now respond in a video by typing. I turn it off and I tell them, listen, you have to learn how to use your voice. You can take the, you can take the, um, the board and make the board all the way over and it's white or black. You can design for middle schoolers. It'd be cool. Like go into Adobe or go into somewhere and design a graphic image or something that kind of pertains to the point you're talking about, like almost like graphically summarizes it and upload that while you're speaking. Um, they can type the text on there they can read aloud. But to me, the, the most important part of Flipgrid is the fact that kids share their voice and they need to understand that there's a value to that. Um, some of them like to take the stickers and make them really big and put them over their head, you know. And sometimes there's, you know, I think you can lead as a teacher with when those things are appropriate in context and when they're not. I mean, like we did a speech writing last month um, followed from Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech and that wasn't the right context to put a funny emoji over your head and say your speech. It didn't fit with what we were working on, you know. And so teaching kids that conversational piece of like how we speak and then like how we can translate that into the work we do. I think that is also embedded within using the tool, which again is why it's so valuable because you're, you're integrating so many other skills with your students than just answering a question. I started using, uh, I don't, I don't, as something for my middle schoolers, just the equivalent of a uh, Flipgrid safe word. Um, so they put a little emoji of, I gave them the, the key emoji that they had to put in the corner and that was the that was the green light to go ahead and share it with the class so they they were mm -hmm. they were talking they were so there might be a little uh, whatever their topic was was 
amphibians or I don't know they put a, they put a little frog in the corner and if the frog <laughs> was, if the frog wasn't there then I knew that they didn't they they weren't comfortable and it was just for me and so I gave them a little safe word uh, seemed to work for some of them but just like anything with students what works for a few doesn't work for all of them so yeah I love that idea that's a great idea yeah, and I, we we see it a lot where elementary teachers have no problem middle school teachers have all the problems with it and then high school teachers seem to have no problem with it so i think it's just the age, age. you know you know another one it's, i can't i can't remember for sh sharing it this week or next week but another one that the kids like to do is sentences so they 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 write up their sentences and then they pause and then the sentence like comes up on the other one and they pause and, the, and so like it blasts all these sentences and i really <laughs> like that but at least I, I, I like that even a little bit better because at least they're having to write out what their thoughts are in those complete ideas. So that might be a, another fun way. So there's still time and effort put into what they're doing. It's just not with their voice. Yeah. Yeah. And I like what you said also earlier about the speaking standards. Uh, as I'm a language arts teacher, so we state of Florida says I've got reading standards, writing standards, and speaking standards. And unfortunately, we don't test the speaking standards. So often, a lot of times, these kids can get through middle school and not have to really talk about anything. Uh, they don't have to get up in front of a class, and except for those rare times when you can when you could squeeze it in. I, and Flipgrid for me has given me that opportunity to address the speaking standards. The district doesn't really have in my plan. Like I look at the their the forecast for the quarter, there's nothing in there for speaking, and Flipgrid mm -hmm. is just such an amazing tool for us to you know. I, I'm honestly, I think speaking is as, as important as reading and writing and but unfortunately it's not testable so it gets neglected too often more often than not so mm -hmm. um you guys have written two books most recently is on the topic of flipgrid and i i, I have I, my my copies are up i just realized when i sat down i'm like i can't reach them over there um, <laughs> but, but i i wanted you to talk a little bit about the book um and what you know led you guys to take on that crazy task of not only writing a book but I, I know how much goes into promoting the book and how, how often you guys have just put yourselves out there to promote it. Um, what, what made you guys decide as educators that, hey, we need to take on more than we're already doing and not write just one book, but two books? Yeah, during a pandemic. Yeah. Teach during a pandemic, be quarantined at home for six months and write a book. And then, yeah, and then we moved at the end of it. I, yeah. Um, you want to tell, share a story about how we got to, written the second book? Uh, well, are we talking about Flipgrid? Or are we talking yeah, about Flipgrid book. So the Flipgrid book, um, you know, we, it was funny because after we, the first book came out, um, we really looked forward to helping educators and working with teachers. And it didn't, it just never failed. No matter where we were, who we were talking with, if we were presenting, what, when is the Flipgrid book coming? When's the Flipgrid book coming? We'd always get that question, right? Like, there's so many awesome ideas for Flipgrid. When's the Flipgrid book coming? And so finally, it just we kind of looked at each other. We said, yeah. you know what? Like, someone we, tweeted we, it. We've got to do this. Someone right? wrote, like, when is Flipgrid in the interactive class coming out? And we looked at each other and we we're like, gosh darn it, there's the title. <laughs> like, uh, like we have to write this book. And so then we did. We hunkered down. I think it was like end of May. And we wrote May, June, and July, like just, I mean, what else were we going to do? We were in quarantine, like we have two kids, like we didn't go anywhere. And we did our best to align it. And it was a very, it's really hard to write a book on Flipgrid because Flipgrid changes like every day. Like there's always new features coming out. And when we wrote the book, we knew of a few, but like there's no way of knowing. And so we had to try to have this task of like writing a book around this tool, but not really going in too deep on the exact minute features 
because they were ever changing. And so the book kind of focuses on, on these overarching umbrella topics that Flipgrid kind of places itself within. So like global learning, digital citizenship, um, I'm trying to think of what else. Social Student learning. voice, using social media and social learning in the classroom. So those kind of topics are what the first whole half of the book are on. And then they kind of, we go through that, top, that, that idea and then we say, okay, well here's how Flipgrid is kind of related to this idea. And then the second half of the book is all of our lessons that are solely Flipgrid. Because in the interactive class, we have lessons on all sorts of ed tech. So these lessons are solely on Flipgrid or apps master, you know, used with another program. Um, and then there's a ton of QR codes that um, Joe meticulously <laughs> set up. So it'll, if you scan it, a lot of them will have like tutorials or like walkthroughs on how to do the lesson. But then if the platform changes, we can go refilm them <laughs> and keep it up to date. So people will be able to get that help that they need. Um, but it'd be up to date. The QR yeah, codes are great, guys. I do. I, I do appreciate <laughs> that. That's just a cool, cool feature. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, honestly, it's a lifesaver. I don't think we would be able to write the, the book without them because like Kristen said, you know, we have to constantly make sure that everything is updated. And so that way, when you're picking that copy up and you want to do that activity, you know exactly what hurdles you're going to have to get into. So well, that's what I feel like you read a book and a lot of times you read a book written by someone, but in the back of your head, you're thinking, this is great, but yeah, you've never been in the classroom before, right? Yeah. Like you have that mindset of like, they don't really know what they're talking about. And so for us, we wanted to make it written, to write it in a way that people could read it and then literally scan and take whatever they needed to do it so they could actually do it. They weren't just like reading it and thinking, oh, that sounds nice. They actually had the scaffolding to try it. Yeah, and it's personal for us because the lessons that we've done in our own classrooms. And so, you know, if something's not working, we want to fix it, right? So <laughs> um, it's really important to us that we take that time. Absolutely. And I, I can only imagine, I know I, I mentioned earlier that I met you guys at ISD 19 at the, the um, Flipgrid event that night. And I can only imagine if you were writing a book about that time, right about that time and going, well, there's five more chapters because they just there was it was just announcement after announcement after announcement after announcement that night and I wasn't sure what to expect that night and I was like I was just my jaw was just dropping after I'm like oh my gosh like what's next um, yeah. any, any tips on what's next guys do you have any inside track on what's we don't really have much inside <laughs> track I think people think we know way more than we know. Um, we're not even cool enough to like get the heads up like the night before. Like we really don't know what's going <laughs> to going to happen. Um, all I know is that Flipgrid is just continually striving for that equity among students, and they're they're just coming out over and over again with maybe not what's always the most popular, but it, in my mind, it's like what's the most needed. Yes, and yeah. and the way that it can be the most beneficial for students and learners, and they're just constantly listening to people and their requests. So whenever someone says, you know what's coming up next? I'm like, no, but go scroll through their Twitter feed and see what people are requesting because that's, they literally have meetings where they sit and they read through all of these teacher requests and then they sit down and say, well, can we make it happen? Like, what do, is it, does it fit like, you know, our, our, um, our statement, our mission? Um, but no, we, I don't know of anything really cool coming. There's some cool things that I've heard about, but I just don't know if they're going to make it out. Yeah, we need to see them in real life. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> if, if they make it out, it's going to be like, just like you said, like what, like jaw dropping, like one of those kinds of things. It's going to be fun. Um, Whatever it is, it's going to be fun. And it, yeah. They're, they're, they're fun people. I, I, I was, that's one of the things I was, I was really caught by that night was just, that's just a good group of people. They're just, they're just having a blast that night sharing and talking about education and. They're genuine. I mean, yeah. 
That's the word I would use for them. They are a genuine company, a genuine group of people. Lots of them are educators. Not everyone. You got to have software developers and things like that, but they are just genuine, true, you know. And I think a lot of people got nervous when Microsoft acquired them. But honestly, I, I think like that just made it even all that much better. Added so many new people because to the family. Not yeah. only that, but now it's free. Like before you had to pay for it. You know, there was a free side, but now everybody gets it for free. And there's so many different integrations now, like Immersive Reader. Accessibility, like Accessibility, equity. Yeah, yeah, like it's just, it's, um, it was for the best. But I, yeah, I think it's for the best. And I can tell you there's nothing quite like an Ann Cosma hug. Uh, I remember. <laughs> oh, oh <laughs> I, I need I, a new, I need an Ann Cosma hug. <laughs> I wanted to point out a couple of things uh, for, that I have used uh, from your books uh, with middle schoolers, because I know that you guys uh, put these things out in the books. And and I know it's a lot of people look at material and they go, like you said earlier, they want something that's ready to use. Uh, and as a middle school teacher, sometimes the middle school teachers or high school teachers look at some of the material and go, oh, that's only works for little kids. But I wanted to just share with you some things that I pulled from your your books that I'm using with middle schoolers and give you just a hearty thank you because I really focus on treating reading like an, it's an experience and uh, who did they meet and where did they go and what did they experience instead of just flipping the pages as if there is an observer I want them to feel like they are in it so I wanted to point out just some things that I have adapted for my own so let me some of your greatest hits here um, <laughs> this goes back to the first book here uh, become a meteorologist I actually had them use that they talked about the weather or that actually warped into the news broadcasting as well. They talked about the weather of conditions or things that happened in their books or talked about uh, things that happened in the book as if they were news events. Texting story, I used that as if they were uh, they were texting the other characters and conversations they were having. Virtual field, now we're jumping ahead here, virtual field trips and having them, <laughs> you know, once Flipgrid adapted and started letting you have all the, the use videos and stuff like that, that, that just opened up a whole another thing of actually going to the place uh, that they were reading about. You mentioned book snaps earlier and God bless Tara for, for creating book snaps. Yeah. Um, but character charades, guys, it's endless. I mean, you guys, I think so many teachers look at material and they think, Oh, I don't know how I'm going to use that in middle school, or I don't know how to use it in high school. But that doesn't take much to adapt. These kids are kids; they're kids. They're they're reading. They're, it doesn't matter whether they're. We all know the whole story about break out a uh, packet of stickers and watch a bunch of high school kids go crazy. They're just mm -hmm. kids, and these things work no matter what age level. And I and I just wanted to kind of give you kudos on uh, taking things from your book and saying saying, hey, here's I'm going to adjust it for middle schoolers, adjust it for my needs with reading and trying to push and promote reading. Uh, and there, there's more things I wrote down here, but I just want to you know throw a few things out <laughs> at you there that. Uh, for those who are listening, Flip, Flipgrid is a tool that could be used no matter what your grade level is. And you guys are doing amazing things. And, and thank you so much for the book. And love, 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 love Flipgrid. And I have um, one other story, and I, and I value your time here, but I, I just want to ask because uh, it's just a little interesting little trivia that's been, you know, I, I want to know, so that, you know, inquiring <laughs> minds want to know. What was your very first Flipgrid video that you did with your students? I just, oh, you know, yeah, uh, you know, right off the top, right which is crazy because <laughs> I'm gonna start using it first, and then I got you on board after he was like, "Okay, let's see what this crazy lady's gonna do." Let me, see. and he's like, "Oh, okay, this is great." Are right, you tell yours? I'm gonna try to remember mine. So mine, uh, first grade, right? And so um, I was trying to keep it really simple because I wasn't, you know, too familiar with the tool. 
and this is like back in like what like early 2017 i think it was in the spring yeah and so um we were working on shapes if i'm not mistaken and we were t looking at shapes and cutting them in halves and in quarters and i had asked the kids to draw on a whiteboard draw um, a rectangle and then cut it in half and then just show it to me i would never do something like that now just so you know but, um i was like i said i was just trying to get used to the tool but this is how i knew flipgrid was for me because by the time i was watching all these responses coming in and thinking to myself like whoa this is like legit and i saw a video from a student that did it incorrect and by the time that i can walk from where i was standing to where she was there was like four other kids that already responded back to her and said, hey, you might want to go back and check your work. And the, it wasn't just that they said, no, you're wrong. It was the way they corrected her too, right? They didn't give her the right answer. They didn't say like, well, what were you thinking? It was the fact that they said, hey, you might want to go back and check your work. I think you did a mistake. And I'm like, man, this tool is for me. Well, I, I think mine, because, you know, I have all of my old, they're called groups now, grids from when we first started and I often will go back and look for like inspiration. You have to remember when we first started using it, there was no draw tool, there's no sticker tool, there's no mic mode, like it was literally just video. So it kind of hindered it. I think mine was just on um when we first got it, like it was it was either like a what did you do after break? Because I think I started using it right around after Christmas break. Or it was like a, a just a generic like probably like something in social studies because I used it a lot at the beginning in social studies to try to get garner some of that conversation. But now I go back and look at them and think, I can't share these because yeah. these are not that good. Like, this is just talking. Like, there is, we, we've gone, we've, we've, we've evolved so much from now. Um, but yeah, it's kind of cool that they let you save all of it. Yeah, I, I go, I, I joined obviously after they already had like the ready made ones in there, like introduce yourself and the, mm -hmm. uh, those things. Like, uh, and would you rather, I think, was one of the first ones I did. And, and it was just, and there were some silly, would you rather have a unicorn? I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember the middle schoolers, my students looking at me like, what is this? You know, just, mm -hmm. but they, when I saw their videos, they were, you saw the little, the kid come out in them and they were just having fun with it. And I was like, okay, that was my moment where I saw that, you know, even a silly topic, like, would you rather have a unicorn or a pony? You know, what, you know, uh, and they were kind of smiling and, and laughing and having a good time. Like, okay, I, I, I'm sold, I'm in. So you learn a lot about them in those kinds of conversations, exactly. you know, like just small little conversations where you hear the kids say, you know, I wouldn't want either because I fell off a horse when I was eight or just like random little things that, you know, the kids don't give you, I find nowadays a lot about them all at once. And so just by watching those videos, you can just learn so much about what they like or what they don't like, or are they the quiet one? Are they the talkative one? How they express themselves creatively? Like you can, it's a, a lot. Yeah, and what a great way to introduce the tool. I mean, yeah. if you're doing that for the first time too, you're building a community because then you have students that watch each other's videos and they say like- they may not talk in real life. They, they may not, yeah, they may not have ever talked in real life, but they find that they have common interests. And so what a great way to build a classroom environment. I pick a unicorn just so you know. I would probably not pick a unicorn. <laughs> what were the other options? Pony. A pony? Yeah. Oh, it's, I don't know. It's I a unicorn. So yeah, the, the, I think I'm team unicorn also. <laughs> yeah. having two daughters as well, you know, I, I guess I, I'm, <laughs> I'm in the, firmly in the land of the unicorns right now. So uh, <laughs> um, you guys have been amazing and I, I thank you so much for your time today. And I, and I hope that uh, we had a chance to have you talk about something that you, you haven't talked about before. Uh, how can people uh, follow you, uh, get in touch with you, uh, see what's going on in the Merrill's world? 
So uh, you can check out our website, uh, themerylsedu.com. Uh, you can also follow us on social media. There's two R's and two L's because? Because there's two of us. She hates it when I, do I that. hate that joke. But we have the same handle on all social platforms. So we always encourage people to try to find us maybe on the one that they're on the most, whether it's Twitter or Instagram, Facebook. Um, we are on TikTok, but don't go there for, you know, anything super <laughs> productive. for a good time. Some, it's very buried <laughs> over there. But, um, yeah, our website's probably the best place because we house our blog there, and you can get in contact with us there, um, themerylzd.com. All right, and I'm going to give you a closing shot, one idea each for Flipgrid to give them a chance to share their experience. I'm going to give you one each and just your your last parting shot here. Um, share share something in reading. Um, I think it'd be fun to kind of do something with stop motion, to take some of those stickers on there and to pause them out and do something with a stop motion, either telling the, you know what the story was, your favorite part, you know, you could create a book commercial out of it. Um, you could even do something with the actual cover of the book, um, but I think that's been kind of overlooked, and there's a lot of really cool things that you can do with that. Yeah, I'll kind of piggyback off of that. I think that, uh, and we've done this quite a bit, where we've used the Flipgrid stickers uh, to become the character, and there's so many stickers that are already in that library. Um, like just the other day, we were doing uh, May, around, May Among the Stars, um, and there's an astronaut helmet that's right in that, the stickers. And I mean, it's even got like an, the opacity is dropped <laughs> on the visor, so you can actually like look like you're in the helmet. It's not just you putting a sticker on your face. And so think like the little minute details that they think of like that are so special because then the kid feels that like they really are a part of it. And they're so creative. it's creative. And um, so, you know, becoming the character, using those stickers, maybe in ways that, you know, are rather unconventional normally. That's awesome, and I and now Flipgrid lets you put your own in there, so you so you're not even limited by the ones they have. So you can yeah, upload middle your school own. and high schoolers could create them. Yeah, if you, I was just gonna say if you were on like Adobe Spark, you could save a PNG file and it's transparent, and then you have a mm -hmm. Flipgrid sticker right there. <laughs> uh, and I, I think I'm trying to think back. I the one that really caught my attention, the first one I was like, I saw you do Joe that really caught my that I caught my attention going whoa, how did he do that, was your caught in a video game one. And I remember being <laughs> very jealous because I'm not an Apple user. <laughs> and I don't have, uh, what is it, We what, what's the video uh, app on uh, the Apples that you guys uh, are clips. always? Apple Clips. Yes. And I'm like, oh, Android, why have you done this to me? Oh, <laughs> but now there's a Pixel feature, so you can yeah. do it right within the, Absolutely. the app. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Joe and Kristen, you guys have been amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. Listeners, thank you for joining in as well. We'll see you next time. And until then, get out there and see the world one book at a time and be good to each other along the way. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Kristen. Thanks, thank Brian. If you enjoyed today's podcast and found value in it, please hit that subscribe button so you don't have to miss a future episode. Have a topic to add to the conversation or interest in being a future guest on the show? Check out the show's Instagram at Osprey Reading Experience Podcast for more information.